Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. This is your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. everyone. This is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds. And I'm so excited today because we are welcoming Stephen Overly, the host of Politico Tech, which is a daily podcast exploring the ways technology is disrupting politics and policy. It's a really interesting podcast that just launched. So welcome, Stephen. So happy to have you on today's episode. Hi, Christine. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I know you have a you have a background in journalism and reporting previously for the Washington Post. Give us an overview of your background and then your journey to Politico Tech. Yeah, I've been a reporter now professionally for almost fifteen years, which is kind of uh, <laughs> crazy to to think about. Um, but yeah, I, I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Maryland and then started my career at the Washington Post back in twenty ten. Um, initially part of a local business publication that they started, and I was specifically covering tech and venture capital. And really, that was my first exposure to the tech industry and to covering tech as a reporter. Um, I eventually moved on to their national staff, you know, left for a year to do a graduate fellowship and then came back. I was writing still on tech, but a lot of uh, autonomous vehicles, um, AI uh, in sort of emerging tech was really my beat. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, shortly after the 2016 presidential election, um, obviously our national conversation shifted to politics. And early 2017, I got uh, approached by Politico to come here and initially mm-hmm. cover the tech, uh, the tech beat as well. So I, I've been here now a little over six years covering tech, cover trade. And now, as you said, I'm hosting this new podcast and back to covering tech. Wow, that's awesome. Did you, you know, intentionally get into the tech world or did you just find yourself there and then were captivated by it? Yeah, I honestly fell into it. You know, I'm not an early adopter. Uh, I'm not a coder. Uh, I had not had a lot of exposure to tech beyond just being a user. Um, But, you know, I, I think I got into it at a really interesting time, which is all of these social media companies were coming online, mobile and the power of mobile was really coming to everyone's attention. And so it was just obvious that tech was so transformative. And since I've been on the beat, that has never led up. You know, every new wave of technology, now we're talking about AI, for instance, um, it, it transforms every facet of our lives. And so there's no shortage of stories to tell as a journalist, no matter what kind of topic you're interested in tech touches it. And so, you know, I've, I've uh, continued to be sort of captivated by tech and its power. And that's kind of kept me coming back to it again and again as a reporter. Mm-hmm. And I like the focus of your podcast on how tech is influencing, disrupting policy, politics, life, everything. Um, so tell us about the podcast. I know it just launched a little over a month ago. Um, what are what is you know the premise? What are some topics that you're looking to cover that you typically cover? Absolutely. So yeah, as you said, Politico Tech we launched about a month ago, so we're still very young. Uh, but we come out every day, which is a, a pace at which you learn a lot very quickly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the goal really is to kind of capture the moment that we're in and and the future that we're headed toward 
with tech and its transformative power, specifically in politics and policy. But really, the you know when you talk about politics and policy, you, you know you're talking about education, you're talking about healthcare, you're talking about national security. Um, there, there's really you're talking about national politics and campaigning, especially as we head into the 2024 elections. Yeah. So all of these different policy areas and political topics are things that we're examining through a technology lens. Um, and so we talk about traditional tech policy topics, you know, things like antitrust and data privacy, um, cybersecurity. We also talk about, you know, tech and campaigns, things like deep fakes, uh, voter donors and outreach. Um, and, and the ways that tech are sort of transforming how campaigns gather and use data um, to try to win elections. Um, and then, you know, finally, this is a global story for us. So we're having guests from Europe and from Asia and talking about the impact of China on, on all these global tech topics in particular, right? And sort of the tension between China and the West right now over things like AI and microchips and quantum computing. And so... Uh, you know, every day when you tune in, you can know that we're going to be talking about tech and power, but specifically the topic within that can really vary episode to episode. And as a result, our guest mix varies episode to episode. And so just in this first month alone, you know, we've had members of Congress, we've had advisors to the Biden administration. You know, we've also had a high school principal and we've mm -hmm. had a, a Hollywood filmmaker and a Hollywood script writer. Um, and so, you know, our goal really is to examine these issues from many perspectives, but because they they touch on so many of our lives and, and aspects of our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. I love the wide range of guests that you've had so far. Um, I, I was noticing that when I was listening to some of the episodes recently. Um, so how do you approach like planning for a daily podcast? Because again, daily is, that's a lot. That's a fast cadence. That's a lot of planning and a lot of just producing a podcast. So what, what approach do you take to nailing down the topics and the guests and planning that? Absolutely. You know, uh, because I've been a reporter for so long and covering daily news, covering breaking news, the pace is not really what's new to me. You know, in fact, that's mm -hmm. part, partially that's what's natural to me, right, is producing stories quickly, um, having daily deadline demands. What's new is telling that, telling those stories in a podcast format and an audio format. And that's really where I've had to learn a lot over the last month or so. Um, but, you know, my approach is to start in one of two places. Either I start with the topic or I start with the guest, right? I think about, okay, what's happening in the news, you know, this particular day or this week? Um, that we should touch on, or, you know, what's just a high level topic that people are talking about a lot and there are not clear answers on, right? You know, yeah. prime example right now is copyright and AI. You know, there's a lot of conversation about what AI generated material is copyright protected. You know, if you're training AI using copyrighted material, is that some sort of violation? Um, and so I start with a topic like that, or I start with, um, you know, a specific news item like today, you know, the, the Senate is coming back, right? Or the House is coming back. How do we do an episode based on that? Yeah. Conversely, sometimes I'll start with the guest. So there might be a particular person I have in mind who I think would be really interesting on the podcast, or I'm approached with the opportunity to interview a guest I think would be good on the podcast. 
And so then I have the person and I back into the topic, right? Okay, what, what can sure. that guest talk about right now that is timely and interesting? And so, you know, I usually start there and, and then it's a process of logistics, right? Booking the guest, getting the timing set. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I spend a fair amount of time doing research and, and coming up with the question mix. Um, and then, you know, you do the interview and I, I work with a very talented senior producer who does all of the audio wizardry, as I like to call it, uh, making the episode sa- sound great in your ears. Um, and and we we churn out the episode and then we we figure out what the next day will bring. Uh, I, I, I will say, I think it's key with a daily podcast to be planning in advance. And we are often planning up to a week or two weeks out. Um, and, and hopefully we can maintain uh, that foresight. Otherwise, we will really be on a hamster wheel that might be more difficult to sustain. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure like, you know, with your long background in journalism, you can kind of forecast out and look at what are some of the big topics that people are going to be talking about? What are some events coming up in the next couple of weeks or so? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I know we've talked about AI being huge, you know, the chat GPT, the high school principal you had on, um, deep fakes, all these things. What are, you know, aside from those topics, what are some of like the the major topics that you're, you know, researching that you're looking into covering here as the podcast continues to grow? I think for me, one important area where we'll need to focus is technology and campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, which obviously includes AI deepfakes, but but goes well beyond that, you know, in terms of data and data privacy, in terms of, uh, you know, campaign outreach, um, you know, there's really so much of campaigning now is digital, uh, yeah. not just not just advertising, but, you know, messaging. Um, and so exploring startups in this space and emerging technologies, specifically in the campaign technology space, I think will be really interesting. Um, and you know, for us, because we're heading into a presidential election cycle, that's going to be a, a recurring topic and something we'll want to talk about a lot. The other topic that we'll exp- we'll explore through many different technologies is the geopolitics of all of this, mm-hmm. you know, and particularly on a global scale, kind of competition between the U.S. and China, to some degree between the U.S. and Europe, the U.K. and other allied countries, um, and and areas where the U.S. is looking to collaborate and also looking to compete when it comes to technology. You know, I think in many ways, you know, I, I obviously I look through most issues right now through a technology lens. So perhaps I have some bias, but I do genuinely think that technology is an increasingly important part of our global relationships. And I think it will really define power dynamics for for the years to come. Um, it's just so central to our culture, to our economy, to our politics. And so those are issues that I also really think we'll explore often and, and with a good amount of depth because uh, they're, they're just too important not to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's interesting because you talk about um, how, you know, this upcoming election cycle, there's a lot of AI generated deep fakes and images capable of deceiving voters, which is really scary to think about. Do Very you, scary. Yeah. yeah. Do you think we'll start to see you know, I think it's important to bring light to these topics because, you know, people not in the tech realm may be completely unaware, but 
Do you think we'll start to see more in the media cautioning voters? Like, how do you think this threat will be influencing the election process? Well, I think the first thing to know is, you know, AI generated deep takes are already here and they're already in our politics. Um, yeah. We had we had Robert Weissman on the podcast, who's the head of Public Citizen, which is an advocacy group that has been pushing for regulations around this. Um, and you know, they have highlighted several campaign ads already that feature deep fakes in the GOP primary. So this issue is already here, and you mm -hmm. are seeing media respond to it. Um, and frankly, I think for the 2024 election cycle, the mainstream press is going to be the primary antidote to AI deep fakes um, yeah. because the regulations and legislation just won't be in place in time is the reality. Um, and and even policymakers uh, acknowledge that the media will have an important role to play here. So the kind of fact checking function, the myth debunking function of the press is going to be really important. Uh, of course, there are challenges to that, though, because, you know, AI deepfakes can be produced at scale and they can circulate online very quickly. So much more quickly than mainstream media can respond and often more quickly than our own content circulates, right? So I don't really know that that is exactly an even matchup between yeah. AI-generated deepfakes and the mainstream press kind of fact-checking fact -checking them. But I, I certainly think you will see more and more of that. Um, and, you know, there, there's really, in the media, as with all major institutions, there are real issues of public trust right now. Right. Um, but, you know, I think that on the one hand, there there is a distrust of the media, a growing distrust of the media. And so that raises questions about, okay, if we are debunking these deep fakes, to what extent will will readers and our audience trust us? Um, on the other hand, though, I, I do think that debunking these deep fakes is an opportunity for the media to really prove its trust yeah. um, because because there is a desire for transparency when it comes to AI. And I'll give you like a very quick, very, um, very innocuous example. But um, I follow a lot of on Instagram. I follow a lot of like architecture and, and decor accounts. I just my oh. like. My online therapy is to like look at beautiful houses I can't afford, basically. And so, I love that. I right? love that with Zillow. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> completely. Um, Zillow, Redfin, all of it. But I, I follow a lot of accounts on Instagram, and a lot of these architecture accounts produce AI-generated images to create these like really elaborate, really beautiful homes that are so crazy. You're like, how how could that even be real? And the reality is, a lot of them are not real. Mm -hmm. Um. But if you look at the comments, what you see is a lot of people pushing back on that, saying, you know, I hate when you post AI, I'm unfollowing this account, or like, you need to, like, this looks like AI, and you need to say that it's AI. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that is like the top comments on all of the posts are, are exactly the, those two points. And so mm -hmm. I, what, to me, what that illustrates in this, again, this very innocuous example, is that people do not want to feel deceived and they don't want to feel duped. And so, yes. use, use, right, and using generative AI without disclosing that to people makes them feel duped. And so that will definitely translate to our politics, to our media, to really, I think, most areas where AI can be used. And so you're going to have, you're going to see a reckoning with that 
um, in all of these areas as well. Mm -hmm. I love that example. It's almost like uh, celebrities or influencers putting filters on, right? You say you want to give a disclaimer because it gives people, you know, false sense of um, a reality, you know? So I think that's, that's a great example and, you know, a good one that people can relate to when, when it comes to influencing, you know, big things like elections and stuff like that. And how, how, you know, if people feel that way about like a, a picture online of, of a home, how yeah. are they going to feel about campaign advertisements, right? How are they going to feel about journalism that is AI generated, you know? Um, so essentially topics where the stakes are far higher than, you know, uh, is this home beautiful or not? And so right. uh, I, I think there's real lessons for people in politics and the media to learn from that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I know we mentioned this briefly earlier, but I, I know that you recently spoke with that high school principal in Silicon Valley navigating chat GPT, right, in the schools. You, right. How are you seeing, or like maybe in that conversation, right, like, do you think schools or organizations will eventually embrace that type of technology, adapt to it, or fight against it? I think that for one is a conversation that all schools are having at every level from, you know, elementary and middle schools through higher education. You know, I, I teach um, in a graduate school program where that is a, a topic of conversation. How do you integrate AI into a curriculum? To what degree mm -hmm. do you embrace it or resist it? You know, I my personal hunch is that most will ultimately embrace it. You know, mm -hmm. I think that I think that you've seen that with past waves of technology and there will kind of be a period of figuring out how does this influence classroom dynamics? How does it influence learning outcomes and how can teachers utilize it effectively? Um, in, in some ways, you know, I can remember being in school, for instance, and having certain math tests where they wouldn't let you use a calculator. Right. And I remember thinking as a student, like, why can I not use a calculator? It exists. It will never right. not exist. Right. Like this is a tool like we're stupid not to be using it. Right. Um, and, and now we have phones with calculators built into them. So yeah. uh, so uh, and and phones with AI built into it. Right. Um, to me, I think part of the question people are really struggling with here is how do you use AI while still cultivating and developing human intelligence and human learning, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, you know, to some degree, AI can be a very helpful tool, but let's say you're using AI to write an essay. If you've if you've never learned to write an essay before, if you don't know the components of good writing, how can you use AI effectively to generate an essay for you, right? How do you know what to put in as a prompt? How do you know that what it's generating for you is actually good quality or accurate? Um, and so that I think right now is one of the fundamental tensions is like if AI can replace core human skills, skills that many of us have learned on our own at this point, for the next generation, which of those skills do they still need to learn on their own? And which yeah. can they sort of fully yield to AI? And that is like, the calculus that I think we'll struggle with in this interim period before the technology is fully embraced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love, you know, that sort of discussion topic. I think it's important because like you said, it does exist now. So how can we, you know, embrace it, learn from it, adapt to it, that kind of thing, because 
it is part of life now. And I, I love how that like maps directly to like what the podcast, what Politico Tech is about, right? It's like exploring how technology is influencing life, politics, policy, culture, everything. So I think that's a really interesting discussion point. Completely. And, you know, we brought on a, a high school principal for a reason. You know, we could have tried to talk to a policymaker. We could have yeah. talked to, you know, a lawmaker trying to write legislation around AI and education. But the reality is with a lot of these tech topics, there is a disconnect between the people writing legislation and regulation and the people who are using this technology every day and who are having their lives disrupted by it for good and for bad. And so my hope with the podcast is to kind of in some ways be a translator between those two worlds. Um, you know, I think it candidly, I think it's important for lawmakers and regulators to hear from principals, hear from teachers, right? Hear from Hollywood writers, you know, who, you know, are confronting AI in a real way on a daily basis. Um, and grappling with it, and what do they need to be successful in grappling with it, right? Um, you yeah. know, that's the that's a perspective that I think is often missing when we talk about tech politics and tech policy, and so I'm hoping to bring that um, regularly to our listeners as part of Politico Tech. Mm -hmm. And I think you just, I was going to ask, um, about how you approach making tech and tech policy understandable to the wider audience. I think you just answered that because, you know, it's it's getting, you know, people that a listener can relate to or understand a different perspective from. And so does it come down to the guests, you think, when when trying to make these topics understandable and relatable to a user? I think guests are a key part of it. I also think the questions that I ask in our interviews are a big part of it too. You know, yeah. I really I really strive when I'm coming up with interview topics and questions to have a healthy mix of questions that will appeal to policymakers, to people in politics, to regulators, those who are kind of making these decisions, as well as questions that will appeal to you know, a, a, a listener who is just really aware that technology is transformative and disruptive and wants to understand better how people in power are keeping check on that. Um, yeah. And so the, the questions that I ask and the guests that we select are definitely a big piece of that. And, you know, to your point, uh, more than any time that I've been covering tech, and again, I've been at this a long time, people are really aware and really care about tech not just because they're users of technology, right? When I first started covering tech, you know, everyone was getting a smartphone or had a smartphone. Everyone was getting on all these social media platforms. And so, you know, the, the interest in tech really came often from a user perspective. And you saw that reflected in the journalism, I think, a lot of the coverage yeah. of tech. Um, now, though, there is a far greater awareness uh, among regular people that tech has benefits and it has detriments, you know, that tech is helpful to our society and harmful to our society. And so, you know, people want to better understand those issues and they also want to know what people are doing about it. Um, you know, the other the other guests we have on the on Politico Tech that we haven't mentioned are tech executives and industry representatives. You know, we have them consistently on the podcast um, too to explain how they are grappling with these issues themselves and to face 
you know, often difficult questions about what regulation of their companies needs to be put in place to minimize harms um, and whether those companies on their own are willing to do enough to minimize those harms. You know, those are genuinely topics people care about. And so I think if we can talk about them in a smart way, but also an accessible way, we should really appeal to a broad audience. And, and at the end of the day, that is my goal as the host. Yeah, I like that. Um, so we always solicit some listener questions, and I like this one in particular. Do you have any dream guests for the podcast? If there is any topic you could talk to someone about, what would it be and with who? Yeah, I have a lot of dream guests. Uh, you know, when you're an a when you're a daily podcast, uh, which yeah. every day, which every day features an interview, um, there's a lot of uh, time to fill and a lot of opportunities to introduce to uh, there's a lot of opportunities to interview interesting people. Um, so I mean, my list of dream guests uh, kind of falls into these different buckets, you know. Um, so from a Washington and regulatory perspective, I mean, I would love to interview President Biden or Vice President yeah. Harris, both of whom have talked about AI and are interested in AI. Um, I think they would be fascinating interviews. Um, I've uh, approached and, and hope to uh, interview Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, right, mm -hmm. about his AI agenda and what is realistic for the Senate to accomplish in terms of AI regulation. And then, you know, um, outside of kind of the Washington regulatory bubble, if you will, there are plenty of folks in Silicon Valley who I think would be fascinating interviews. Uh, I mean, big names, obviously, like Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, yeah. Sundar Pichai. Um, but even, you know, I, I really found that some of the most interesting interviews are with lower level folks who are maybe less rehearsed, less wedded to talking points, and more in touch with these technologies directly. So I love to interview like engineers and AI developers, right? And uh, about, you know, how they use this technology and, and where they kind of see it all headed. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are some yeah. of the dream guests. I, you know, frankly, I, I will say, and I don't have a specific person in mind for this, I would I would also be interested in interviewing people who create AI deepfakes or people who oh, are using yeah. you you know using some of this technology for frankly purposes that a lot of us find to be harmful or troubling in some way, right? You know, the understanding kind of their motivations, some of which may be obvious, some of which not, I think would make for a really interesting conversation and frankly you know, would be helpful for uh, for regulators and lawmakers to hear as they think about crafting policies to counteract some of those harms. Now, uh, the, I, I would imagine if you are generating political AI deepfakes, you, you may not <laughs> want to be out and proud yeah. about that. Uh, you probably don't want to come up on a podcast to talk about your motivations. Uh, but, but hey, if I can dream, uh, that's a guest I would also be interested in talking to. Yeah, I would love to listen to that one. I mean, totally make it anonymous, all the all of that, make it make it as anonymous as possible because it'd be really interesting. Yeah, if they're you know, we could figure out a way to do it as long as they're willing to be candid. Um, you know, I I, I think there would be benefits to hearing that perspective. Absolutely. Um, and then do you have any best practices for organizations, PR folks looking to work with you to get a guest on the show? I'm sure you get a lot of inbound pitches. How do you kind of sort through that? 
we do get a lot of inbound pitches and, um, you know, I, I'm used to that, but I have to say it has ramped up now that I'm hosting a podcast. And so yeah. figuring out the right balance, you know, one, um, one thing we've, I've started doing and we'll see if it works, frankly, um, is I've created a, like a Google form that I share with PR people to sort of fill out just a short list of like the key questions I really want to know when considering mm -hmm. a guest. Because sometimes I'll get really long, really elaborate pitches um, that, uh, you know, candidly, I don't have a ton of time to read or, right. you know, they're, you know, they, they contain all the, these details, but don't actually answer like the two most important questions I want to know. Um, and so I, creating this form is kind of a way to try to streamline this process and, and make sure I get the information I need. Um, I mean, my, I, I think my recommendations to PR folks pitching the podcast are twofold. Um, one, you know, come to me with a guest who is either, you know, very timely and, and not necessarily timely today or tomorrow, but maybe it's going to be timely next week or the week after. Um, and then two, you know, come to me with guest suggestions uh, with people who have a very unique background or experience that makes their insights worth listening to. Um, you know, an, an example of that could be somebody who has a background in government or, um, you know, policymaking and now works in industry, right? And so they can kind of speak from both perspectives on regulatory issues or, you know, pitch me, you know, your, your most high profile person, right? Your CEO yeah. who is going to the White House or going to Capitol Hill and meeting with lawmakers to talk about microchips or deep fakes or AI. Um, you know, those are the people that our audience really wants to hear from. And therefore they're the folks I'm most interested in talking to. Um, what I will say is the guests I'm less interested in are folks who can just, are generalists who can sort of speak on a lot of topics, but without yeah. a lot of depth or without a lot of original viewpoint. Um, you know, those those guests to me are just less suitable to this format. You know, um, if if I were doing a quick radio story or TV story or even print story where you know, it was just going to be a couple quick quotes. And so that's all I, that's all I really needed. Then, then that guest might be suitable. But if you're going to spend 10 to 15 minutes with someone, they really have to have a unique perspective and go beyond talking points um, because that's what's going to keep the guests, or I'm sorry, excuse me, that's what's going to keep the audience's attention. It's what's going to keep my attention as the interviewer. And so that's, um, that's some of the best advice I guess I could give. That is super helpful. I love the Google form. I love how you said what you're looking for, what you're not looking for. That makes it very clear. And I think useful for a lot of our listeners looking to, um, you know, tune into the podcast and, and help get good guests onto the podcast as well. Yeah, you know, one thing I'll add, because I, I know your listener base is a lot of folks working in media relations. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm only a month into this, but one sort of thing I've noticed is when when guests come on, obviously a lot of them are media trained, which is which is great and useful. Um, the podcast format, and Christine, you know this from hosting your own podcast. The the podcast format is a really unique animal, and so even someone who's been media trained in broadcast 
that doesn't exactly translate to a podcast. You know, appearing on, mm-hmm. appearing, doing a TV hit um, or a radio hit is different than being part of a 10, 15 minute conversation, let alone a 25 minute or hour long conversation. If you if you go on a podcast that's even longer than ours. And yeah. so um, I, I just think there are some unique characteristics to that interview format. And what I'm finding is sometimes I will try to explain that in advance to the guest or to the the media relations professional they're working with so that they have an an idea of what to kind of expect from the interview. Um, And so, so, you know, one of those tips just to start out is like when you're having, when you know an interview is going to be 10 to 15 minutes, for instance, you don't have to necessarily get all of your points out in the first question, right? Um, that's different from TV where you may only have 45 seconds, right? So make them count. Um, But if you go into something knowing you have 15 minutes or knowing you have an hour, you know, as a a host, as an interviewer, I'm thinking of, okay, what is the narrative arc of that full conversation, right? How do we we continue to build it so that the listener is always learning, always getting something? And then by the end of the episode, they kind of have, all the information they need. They've kind of listened to a very complete, comprehensive conversation. Um, and, and, and so as a guest, that's a, that's an important thing, I think, to know coming in the door is sort of how to, how to you know, ease into that conversation um, so that it feels natural and it's pleasant to listen to. I 100% agree. I find that the more present and conversational versus, I mean, it's always fine to have talking points, you know, Sure. the more present you can be, the more organic it sounds. And yeah, I love that narrative arc you mentioned. I think it's important when you have that chunk of time to figure out how to get the most important information out to the audience. And you're a total pro at it and it shows in the podcast, but I think that's really great advice for guests coming on and media relations people as well. I appreciate you saying that. And yeah, yeah you know, there's just, there's, in in audio, especially podcasting specifically, um, I think authenticity really comes through. You know, it's mm-hmm. and it's kind of a, it's kind of amazing how much you can hear it in someone's voice and in the answers that they give. You know, but when you spend even fifteen minutes hearing from somebody, um, you know, you can tell when they're sort of being natural being authentic and and yes, come absolutely come with talking points they want to hit on, but are able to kind of convey those in a way that feels very natural. Um, You know, that, that just, it reveals itself in a podcast in a way that it doesn't always in other media formats. And so, um, you know, that, that sometimes separates like a really good guest from just an okay guest. It's like, are, are they at ease and natural enough to really have a 15 minute conversation that feels um f- feels authentic um and that's that's easier said than done candidly yeah. i'm le- i'm learning that as a host uh, uh there's you know i i have to bring more of myself to a podcast in some ways than i than i have ever had to do with print stories that i've written and so that's something i i'm learning and i think it's something that guests just have to learn too yep i'm sure I'm sure. So I absolutely love the the premise of Politico Tech. Um, anything that you want to promote coming up for the podcast? Yeah, so we have a lot of interesting episodes already slated for September. 
Um, so please subscribe at, mm -hmm. wherever you get your podcasts, you know, Apple, Spotify, Google, you can find Politico Tech at all of them, uh, as well as politico.com. Um, but we have some really exciting guests, you know, uh, I, I have interviews coming up, for instance, with um, Mustafa Suleiman, who's the head of Inflection AI, which is an AI company. And he was the co-founder of DeepMind, which is now, you know, core to Google's AI efforts. Cool. So he's got a book out that is just really fascinating about the risks of AI and and how people how you know people should respond to it. Everyone from policymakers to tech executives. Um, I have another fascinating interview coming up with uh, with an AI powered robot, where I actually yeah. interview I interview the robot and I interview the robot's developer and. I, I don't want to give too much away on that, but I, I mean, that was just a wild uh, conversation. Oh um, my gosh, so, I need to listen to that one. Yeah, that yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's coming out um, in, in the next couple of weeks. So um, we have a lot of really good stuff planned um, and more good stuff that I have not yet planned, but uh, <laughs> Willa, Willa is on my to-do list. So um, mm -hmm. I really hope that folks subscribe and that they find a reason to tune in every day because they, they are interesting and important conversations. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll also just say, I, I am always accessible. You know, I'm very, I can be reached on all social media platforms, email, et cetera. So um, whether that's, uh, whether you're a PR person with a formal pitch or you're just interested in tech and there's like a topic that you want to hear us talk about, um, you know, I love, I love those suggestions too. So, you know, I, I, I try to be accessible and I hope folks don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, no, thank you so much. This has been very informative. It's been a pleasure getting to know you more and to understand more about the podcast. Congrats on the fir first month or so of it. And we're definitely going to be tuning in daily to hear what you're up to. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on your show. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Inside the Media Minds. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds. To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found.